Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this opportunity uh, just to continue worshiping by studying your Word. And it's the word that you inspired, the word that you preserved. And I just thank you, Lord, for the people who are here, the people who have joined us online. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody who has not yet received Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus. And I also pray for those who maybe need to make a recommitment, Lord, that even now you begin to um, work on their hearts. Uh, But through it all, Lord, I, I just pray that you will be glorified. And that you'll help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. And so I pray that in order to do that, you'll fill me afresh with your spirit. And so, Lord, may I decrease and you increase in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. And the title of the study is The Response to Deliverance. The Response to Deliverance deliverance. And so judgment um, had come upon the earth in the form of a worldwide flood at this point. Uh, But as the story goes, eight people were spared. Eight people were saved. That's Noah and his family, as well as some of the animals. And so there were seven pairs of each clean animals and then two of each of the unclean animals. And so um, they were in pairs, a male and its corresponding female. And so these animals were also in this ark with Noah and his family. So the scriptures tell us that it rained nonstop for 40 days and that the waters prevailed for 150 days. So in other words, the flood reached its peak in 150 days. And as we look into chapter 8, We're going to see the end of the flood. We're also going to see deliverance and we're going to see Noah's response to that deliverance. And so let's turn our attention to verse one in Genesis chapter eight. It says, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth. And the water subsided, receded, or went down. And so, first of all, you see this phrase here that God remembered Noah. Now, this does not mean that God had forgotten about Noah and his family and these animals. But what it means is that when he remembers Noah, it means that now it is time to act in Noah's situation. So in other words, God is again turning his attention back to Noah, his families, and those animals in the ark. Now I wonder if maybe you're in that place in your life where perhaps you feel forgotten by the Lord. You feel that maybe God is silent in your life, silent in your situation. Maybe you feel like you're not hearing anything, getting any response to your prayers that you've been praying for so long? 
Or you're at that place where you feel that God is not intervening in your situation when you thought that, God, this is a good time for you to step in. This is a good time for you to intervene in my circumstance. But God hasn't stepped in yet. God has not answered that prayer yet. And so maybe you are in that place where you feel forgotten by the Lord. But on our end, and this is on our end. We are finite creatures. We are in time. God is timeless. He is not bound by time. So on our end, on this side of eternity, yes, it may seem that God has forgotten about us. Situation you've been praying for, hadn't heard anything. God, you forgot about me. Lord, I see you blessing someone else. I see you blessing this other family, but, but God, what about me? What about my family? So maybe you are there, and it seems that, yes, God, you, you forgot about us. However, we need to be reminded of this fact as we see in verse 1 that God will deal with or put the finishing touches on our situation in his timing. And so at this time in Genesis 8, 1, God is ready to put the finishing touches on Noah's, his family, and these animals' deliverance. And so he remembered Noah. In verses 2 through 5, it says, the fountains of the deep. So these will be the subterranean waters, the underground waters, underground springs, and, and the windows of heaven were also stopped so that vapor uh, canopy uh, around the world is you know, just let loose now. It's raining or it had rain and the, now the rain from heaven was restrained. And in verse 3 it says, and the waters receded continually or gradually from the earth. And at the end of or after the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, which, was, uh, which is about five months after the rain began. And so it rested on the mountains of Ararat. And in verse 5, it says, And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, which is, of course, two and a half months um, later than what you see in the earlier part of verse 4. And so in that 10th month, on the first uh, day of the month, it says that the tops of the mountains were seen. The tops of the mountains were seen. And so these waters decreased enough that now the ark is able to settle down and rest on the mountains of Ararat. And and this mountain range is located in modern-day Turkey near the present-day Turkish-Armenian border. And so as we see in the scriptures, in these verses here, Uh, It was approximately seven and a half months later that Noah was able to see the tops of the mountains. So seven and a half months later than when the flood first started, he's able to see the mountaintops, in other words. And so now remember that at one point, this worldwide flood, all these waters had risen uh, to about 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain point. And that's according to Genesis chapter 7, verse 20. Seven and a half months later, I could see the top of the mountain. So I can imagine Noah saying that. 
And yes, as we piggyback off the previous point, yes, you may have been praying and waiting for God to come through in your circumstance. And maybe it has been seven and a half months since your personal flood started. Since that tough situation that you're in had begun. For some people, it's been seven and a half years or more. But now at this point, like Noah, you're able to see the tip of your deliverance. You're, you're able to see the, the, the tops of your prayer being answered. In other words, what I'm saying is you're able to see some progress, just a little bit of progress when it comes to your prayers being answered. When it comes to your deliverance, when it comes to your help, you're able to see just a little progress. And yes, it's true that sometimes we do see a little bit of progress at a time when it comes to maybe our healing, when it comes to maybe our deliverance, when it comes to maybe some type of financial help or when it comes to to, to maybe somebody that we've been praying for who's not saved. And maybe we can see God just chipping away at the hardness of their hearts. And so we begin to see the tips, the top of that mountain, so to speak. We begin to see it exposed. And just so you know, we, we do have a New Testament reference as far as the fact that we sometimes see a little progress at a time, step by step. And in and, and Mark chapter 8, for example, verses 22 to 26, <clears throat> speaking of Jesus, it says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and they begged Jesus to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And this blind man, he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and he saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. And so in that situation, we see that the the first touch didn't completely remove this man's blindness, but that Jesus had to give it a second touch. So yes, there's some times where God works and, and, it's, and it's a process. He's doing something. But, but sometimes we don't see the entire mountain exposed. Sometimes we just see the top of it that, that, hey, I'm starting to see men like trees. It's starting to clear up a little bit. Or, hey, I'm just starting to see this tip of the mountain, just the tops of it at this point. And, and, and you begin to be a little bit excited and encouraged because you see, okay, before I didn't see anything, but maybe seven and a half months later or however much time it is in your situation or in your, or in your life, now you begin to get encouraged because you understand that God is working in his timing and that there is some progress, that your deliverance is coming, that, that you see this healing in, in your life in stages and it's coming and you see the prayers little bit at a time being answered and, and the fullness of that prayer being answered is coming. You, you, you're starting to see Men as trees. You're starting to see the tops of the mountains, so to speak. 
Or maybe there's some type of struggle in your life, some struggle in your walk. Maybe there's some type of sin, some type of proclivity you have to a certain type of sin. And those urges seem to be stronger just a little bit lately. And you've been praying to God, God, help me to overcome this struggle. I know this sister in Christ. I know this brother in Christ. And and they seem to have victory over this issue that I'm having a problem with. Lord, where is my deliverance and, and where is my help? in overcoming the struggle. But praise God when we see progress. When that opportunity to sin is there and we could shrug it off, doesn't bother us as much. You you can turn away a little faster. It doesn't stay in your mind as long. You don't let that thought build a nest in your head. Or you're making progress. Some tops, the tops of the mountains right there in that struggle and overcoming that struggle. In verse 6, it says, so it came to pass back in Genesis 8. It came to pass at the end of another 40 days that Noah opened the window or the hatch of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro or back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. In verse eight, he says, he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she turned into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. In verse 13, and it came to pass in the 601st year, that is, of Noah's life, in the first month, in the first day of the month, and this would be 10 and a half months after the flood began, it says that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. And so 40 days after the tops of the mountains were seen, Noah opened the window of the ark. He sent out a raven, and that raven never returned, by the way, and went to and fro. Uh, But perhaps some would suggest maybe this raven was feeding on the corpses of dead animals. For that's one of the things that ravens ate or eat. But he also sent out a dove. And this dove, the first time, did not return with anything. But then seven days later, Noah sent out the dove again. And this time, the scriptures tell us the dove came back with evidence that the judgment uh, through the flood was over and that there was plant life because it brought back a freshly plucked olive leaf. And so after another seven days, the dove was sent out yet again, and it did not this time return to the ark where Noah and his family were located, which meant that the land was, was dry enough for this dove to stay planted there. So guess what? There is no need for this dove to go back. And according to James Freeman and the new manners and customs of the Bible, 
says today an olive, olive branch is uh, regarded as a sign of peace, as is the dove. And so the combination of a dove with an olive branch or leaf in its mouth is often used as a symbol of peace. And so what you see here, just to re- reiterate, that this dove with the freshly plucked olive leaf in her mouth is today a symbol of peace. Now, I like the picture there of the dove and the symbol of peace with this, with this olive leaf. Because if you recall Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon him. It settled. It came upon, or I should say he settled and came upon Jesus. And I said he because the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He's a person, third person of the Trinity. And so uh, that's, that's one thing I want to point out that The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and came upon Jesus after his baptism. But also in regard to peace, the scriptures tell us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that a part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And so what a picture of the Holy Spirit we see here in this dove. And peace, by the way, just to give you a definition, it is a state of assurance. Peace is a lack of fear and sense of contentment. It is fellowship, harmony, and unity between individuals. So praise God that because of the blood of Jesus and because those of us who've repented and put our trust in Jesus, we are no longer at odds with God the Father because now we are at peace with him. We are reconciled uh, to God. And so we have peace, we have harmony, we have fellowship with God. But get this, peace also is freedom from worry. Peace is freedom from disturbance and freedom is peace from oppressive thoughts. And I just wonder right now online or in the building tonight, is there anybody who is having oppressive thoughts? Is there anybody who is having disturbing thoughts? Is there anybody who is not free from worry? That means you need peace. And the scriptures tell us how to obtain that peace. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the scriptures tell us to be anxious for nothing. In other words, it's telling us to to not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And prayer, by the way, is a broad term. It includes all types of prayers, whether it's thanksgiving or confession of sin or whatever. But supplication are your specific needs. And so in everything by prayer and supplication. Guess what? And with thanksgiving. So do all of this instead of worrying. Do all of this instead of being anxious for nothing. Do all of these things that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is talking about instead of being in bondage to oppressive thoughts. So, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it says, and in verse seven, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that peace that comes only from God, it will guard your hearts and your minds 
through Christ Jesus. So if you're having any oppressive thoughts, if your mind is in bondage to to worry, to anxiety, I would encourage you to take that to God in prayer and allow the peace of God. And it says that it surpasses all understanding, which means you don't understand how this works. But all you need to know is that you need to trust God and step out in faith and say, God, you told me, you invite me to come to you when I feel worry begin to creep up. You, you want me to come to you. And so I'm coming to you, God, with my prayers. I'm coming to you, God, with my supplication. I'm coming to you with my thanksgiving. And I trust you, God, as you said here in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, to, to allow me to have that peace that passes all understanding. And it's going to guard your hearts. It's going to guard your minds. So it's going to guard you intellectually. It's going to guard you emotionally through Christ Jesus, if you will only allow God to be God. Amen? Amen. And so now at this point, at this point, Noah has been in the ark for one year and 10 days. One year and 10 days. And I want you to reference Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, and Genesis chapter 8, verse 14. So you can compare those two. You can come up with that number. He's been in the ark for one year, 10 days with smelly animals and, and, and of course, his family. So I don't know what was worse, the family or the smelly animals, but I I don't know. But anyway, but now the, the earth is different now. The earth is now different. Things have shifted. In fact, Henry Morris in the book, the Genesis record says somehow there must also be a drastic rearrangement of a terrestrial topography with continental land masses rising from the waters and ocean basins deepening and widening to receive the waters draining off the lands. And he says, this is, in fact, exactly what happened according to Psalm 104, verses 6 through 9. So with that, let's, let's turn there. Let's look at Psalm 104, verses 6 through 9 and see uh, the shifts that took place on the earth, the changes that happened on the earth due to this flood. And Psalm 104, verses 6 through 9 says, you covered it. With the deep as with the garment, it being the earth. It says, the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they, that's the seas, the waters, may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. Now, now look at verse 8 again. And so I, I just read it out of the New King James Version. I want to read it out of the Amplified. Verse 8, it says, The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place which you established for them. Now, I just want to share with you during the studies, I, I read about eight, nine versions of the Bible in preparation. And so most of them kind of read this way as they amplified that the, the mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place which you established for them. The New Living Translation, for example, same verse, verse 8 in Psalm 104 says, mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Uh, the ESV says, 
The same thing, pretty much. The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. And I could use various other versions, but I think uh, three is sufficient. But the point is, you see that there was this shift in, in the landscape that on the earth. Why? Because of the flood. So this is a new world, so to speak, that Noah, his family, and these animals are now stepping into. But one thing I want you to do, is direct your attention back to how Noah assessed whether or not the land was dry. Now, now remember, he sent out the raven. Remember, he sent out the dove. But then also remember that he removed the covering. And he, the scriptures tell us in verse 13, he looked. He assessed the situation. Oh, that's something there for us. Because every now and then, we need to assess the situation around us. In other words, we need to check the landscape. What, what do you mean, Pastor Durrell? Check the landscape. Assess the situation of how things are going in your marriage. Uh, assess the landscape. See how things are going in your home. Assess the landscape. Check it out. Pay attention to what's going on in our country and in other parts of the world. Assess the situation uh, around you. Check the landscape. Because when we understand the landscapes, when we understand or assess the situation that's going on around us, whether it's in your city or country and and even in your own home, that's going to guide you on how you should be praying on how you should be praying for your marriage, how you should be praying for your spouse, how you should be praying for your children, how you should be praying for your professors, how you should be praying for your employer, how you should be praying for the president or whatever other leaders there are in this country. It should uh, help us to um, be guided in that on how to pray. Also guide us in, in what to change and what actions we need to take. But also as you assess the landscape of what's going on in the world, as you see all this craziness that is going on in this world, as you assess it and and hopefully you've been assessing it, hopefully you've been checking out the landscape of what's going on spiritually. Because if you have been, then you will be able to tell that it is close to Jesus coming back for his church. Where we meet him in the air in an event called the rapture. The next thing on the prophetic clock. And guess what? There are no signs that need to precede the rapture. Because when you see signs that he gives, he's talking about his second coming, which is after the tribulation period. So if you're starting to see signs of the second coming, that means the rapture is even closer. Verses 15 through 19, back in Genesis 8, it says, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your son wives with you bring out with every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping or crawling thing that creeps or crawls on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So kind of a similar statement to what we've seen in creation during creation week in Genesis one. And in verse 18, it says, so no one went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. So eight people. Again, after being in the ark for one year and 10 days, 
And every animal, every creeping or crawling thing, every bird, and whatever creeps or moves on the earth, according to their families, they went out of the ark. And so now we see that Noah is commanded to leave the ark along with the family, with his family and and the animals. But it's interesting to see that although he saw that the surface of the ground was dry, it's interesting to see, to know that he didn't leave the ark on his own. He waited until God gave him the commandment. And so, brother and sister in Christ, I would say that even if things look clear on the surface of your circumstance, things look clear to you, things look dry and okay to you, according to your standards, things seem to be falling into place for you that although you think that's true, Let me share this with you, brother and sister in Christ. Wait for clear direction from the Lord. Whether it's regarding a new job, starting a ministry, or relocating. Oh, this seems to be lining up. But did you receive a sure word from the Lord? Did you receive the all clear from the Lord? I just wonder tonight how many people acted too soon because they thought these were their signs. They thought that. They acted too soon. And then when it doesn't go well, guess who they blame? God. God didn't give you the clear yet. He didn't tell you to leave the ark yet, so to speak. So take a page from the book of Noah and wait for the Lord. But this flood is very interesting because in the New Testament, there's a scripture that's pretty difficult to interpret. And it uses the flood as a type. And that scripture, and you see it there in parentheses, is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, to the Father. Being put to death in the flesh. So his body died. That that body died, right? But he was made alive by the spirit. That is, by the Holy Spirit. Speaking of his resurrection, now he has a glorified body. By whom? So by that same Holy Spirit, he also went and preached. Many believed that this was a declaration of victory, not a second chance at salvation for anyone. That's not scriptural. So by the Holy Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. He's... Some believe these are fallen angels. Some believe that these are um, those spirits of the people who rejected Noah's preaching because he is called a preacher of righteousness. And so and it describes these um, these beings here, these spirits. They were formally disobedient. Verse 20, right? First Peter chapter three. They were formally disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water. Of course, that's referring to Noah and his family. But but notice this in verse 21. There is also an antitype, an antitype, um, which now saves us. Baptism, uh, not the removal of the flesh, of the filth of the flesh, but the answer or appeal or the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God, which is a place of honor and authority. 
angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And so in regard to First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 21, we need to rule out what this does not mean. It does not mean that water baptism saves us. And so what you, when it comes to Bible interpretation, here's a tip. Do not override the clear scriptures for a scripture that is more difficult or not quite so clear. You always start with the clear scriptures and then you build there because now you know what it's not saying. And so I know that it's not saying that water baptism saves us. I know that because the other scriptures don't teach that. Uh, in fact, it says that, that, that Jesus didn't baptize, his disciples did. Now, Jesus thought that water baptism was necessary for salvation and he would have been baptizing. He'd have been doing that. He would have saw more importance to it. But it is important, by the way, and we should do it. If you're a true believer, get baptized in water. But if you're on your deathbed, if someone's on their deathbed and they receive Christ, they're not able to get water baptized. They die that next minute. They're still going to heaven. Thief on the cross still went to heaven. He didn't come down. He didn't say, time out. Let me get baptized. No. I'm not saying water baptism isn't important. It is. So do it when you have the opportunity. But don't uh, make people feel less Christian. Oh, you haven't been baptized yet? Oh, you're not a real Christian. It's faith in Christ. But I, I do have a question. If you are a believer, you've been saved for years, what is stopping you from being baptized in water? I do have to ask that question, though. But getting back to the point here, so this does not mean that water baptism saves us, but because in the scriptures, for example, in Acts chapter 10, we see that people were saved and they received the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Cornelius and and those that were gathering in his household, they weren't baptized yet, but the Holy Spirit fell upon them, which means they're saved because the Holy Spirit, if he's indwelling a believer, that means you're, you're saved, of course. The Bible tells us that if we don't have the spirit of Christ and we don't belong to him. And so they belong to him at this point in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. And so this is what's said here after Cornelius. And these are Gentiles, by the way, after Cornelius and his household received the spirit. Listen to what Peter said. This is what Peter said after they were saved, after they received the spirit. Peter said in Acts 10, 47, can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So in other words, salvation comes before water baptism. So, so here, here, here's something. So water baptism doesn't save people, but water baptism is for saved people. That's scripture. Now the flood, looking at this here in, First Peter chapter three twenty one. The flood of Noah's time is a type of baptism. You see, a type is a person or a thing that prefigures a future person or thing. In fact, we could define a type as a prophetic symbol because all types are representations of something yet future. And so, in other words, a type in Scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that for, here's another word, that that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. So, according to the Holy Spirit who used Peter here, 
this, this flood was foreshadowing water baptism. It was a type of it. And so how was that? Well, first of all, the old earth with Noah and his family's old life was buried. So that old earth, all that sin, all that wickedness, you know, all that old life of Noah and his family, that, that's been washed away. However, Noah and those in the ark, they were saved through the water. Notice it says they were saved through the water, not by it. And so we see also that the ark was lifted up as the waters rose. And so now Noah has this new start in this new world, so to speak, along with his family. And there you can see almost a picture of water baptism, how the old us, that old you know, us is buried with Christ. Because we're also identifying with Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection. And so whatever has taken place in our hearts spiritually, the old us dying and the new us being resurrected, now living that new life in Christ, that is being illustrated as we identify with Christ in that water baptism. So just as the flood wiped away that old world, water baptism, symbolically, it's like it's washing away our old life. And then the new us in the ark coming up, floating up above the water is resurrected, living that resurrected life in Christ Jesus. So not saved by the water, but, but through it. And so this is how the water baptism is an antitype. It's an antitype because it corresponds to the type. And so the type, again, the foreshadowing is the flood which means that water baptism would be the antitype because it corresponds to it. And that's not my definition, but this is what the word of God says. It calls it the antitype. And so what really saves us is the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's a conscience that's effective because of the completed work of Jesus, hence the resurrection. And so this answer, the appeal or response of a good conscience is what matters. If that hasn't taken place, if faith in Christ hasn't taken place, then when you get baptized in water, you're just getting a free bath. Doesn't mean anything. If you really haven't been regenerated and washed by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean anything. And so really we're identifying with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection when we get baptized in water. I like the way the New Living Translation puts 1 Peter 3.21. It says, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So back in Genesis 8 verses um, 20 to 22, it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took every clean These are, in a ritual sense, clean animal and of every clean bird. And he offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And so while the earth remains or endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And so you see God's promise to never again curse the ground or to add additional curses for man's sake or to destroy every uh, living thing that he has done with the flood of waters. 
In other words, he won't destroy the earth by flood again. But the New Testament tells us, 2 Peter chapter 3, that one day, yes, it is going to be destroyed by fire. And so even though man has evil hearts, mankind, humans have evil hearts, even though that's true, God still made this promise to not destroy it again with the flood. And speaking of these evil hearts, Jeremiah knew it quite well. Jeremiah 17, 9, he says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But yet and still, Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, we can see that God is displaying mercy. And he's displaying his quality of being long-suffering as he allows mankind, humans, to live and not destroy them with another flood even though he knows that they have a sin nature, that we have a sin nature, and that there's evil bound up in the heart of man. So Noah and his family have been delivered from judgment. Noah and his family have been delivered from the judgment, specifically the judgment of the flood. But but I want you to pay attention to how Noah responded to being delivered. From this flood. The scriptures tell us in verse 20 that he responded to deliverance by offering the clean animals as a burnt offering. And the burnt offering, by the way, was entirely consumed by the fire. And so in Noah's case, it was an offering of thanksgiving and praise for deliverance. But as you read Leviticus, you see that the burnt offering is an offering of consecration and dedication. That's why the whole thing was burned up or consumed. And so in other words, what we're seeing here is worship. He responded to deliverance by worshiping. And worship is the, is the reverence or adoration that one shows towards something or someone Worship is holding a person or object in high esteem or giving a person or an object a place of importance or honor. And so we could learn once again from Noah, this man that God called righteous. What we could learn from him is that the proper response to deliverance is worship. So you get this, Christian, we, we've been saved from an eternity in hell because we are in the ark, because we are in Jesus. We are in the one who took upon himself the flood of his father's wrath, the wrath that we deserve. He stood in our place and he took that upon himself. And because of our repentance and trust in him for salvation, We've been delivered. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin, eternal separation from God. We've been delivered from the power of sin. And so in response to that, to that deliverance, we should worship. But, but Darrell, there's nothing that seems to be going right in my life. My response once again is if you're saved, then worship. 
But Pastor Darrell, my wife, my husband, they're not acting right. But my response to you once again is worship. If you are a believer, you should be worshiping. No, you didn't get the job that you wanted to get. You didn't have the child that you wanted to have yet in your marriage. But, and so you're complaining a little bit, but your response, if, if Jesus is your personal Savior and Lord, your response should be to worship. But Pastor Darrell, I am struggling financially. How can I focus on God? My response to you once again should be worship. Why? Because you are delivered by God from the penalty of sin. Remember your deliverance. If there doesn't seem to be anything else that you're, you feel you can be thankful for, be thankful for the fact that you are delivered from the penalty and power of sin. You're delivered from hell. You're delivered from an eternity in which people will have to spend away from God in this eternal quarantine. Remember that, if anything else, and be grateful and just worship. You, you see, we worship the Lord in our giving, by the way. We, we, we can worship the Lord by, by giving the sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13. You can worship the Lord. We talked about this later through prayer. You can worship the Lord through singing. You can worship the Lord through holy dance. You can worship the Lord by playing an instrument for his glory. But, but remember this, you, you want to worship God first and foremost by offering your body as a living sacrifice to him. That means that we allow him to use our bodies for his glory. That means we surrender our bodies for his use. That means we do not surrender our bodies to our sin nature, living in bondage to sin when we are really free. Because just as the song says, just as the scripture is that, that wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we should not be living as though we are in bondage to sin. And so we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And when you do that, guess what? That's worship. That means that so worship, in other words, is a lifestyle. Whatever you do to honor the Lord, that's worship. So you should be in perpetual worship mode. But, but this worship, by the way, as the worship team takes the stage, this worship must be in spirit and in truth. It must be in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is looking for people who's not going to worship him on the surface level, who's not just going to go through the motions, who's not just going to fulfill these different types of rituals, but, but God is looking for people who's going to worship him in spirit and in truth for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we worship in spirit. That means our worship must be in the area, in the plane of the spirit. But guess what? People are not spiritually alive unless they're born again. You must be born again. We worship on the plane of the spirit. It's not just an outward thing. Yes, it's expressed outwardly with the raising of our hands, for example. But, but do you have that connection with the Lord spiritually? But also in truth, that means that we worship God as it is revealed in the scriptures. 
So we, we don't worship him any kind of way. Barking in the spirit. <laughs> I, I tell you what. Somebody barks in the spirit here. We, we have ushers and a security team that will bark you right on out. <laughs> so worship in truth. But also, it, it could also mean in sincerity. That means you're not pretending. And just to close it off, speaking of the message, just want to remind you of or point your attention to the fact that God was satisfied with Noah's sacrifice because it says the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. That, that just means that God was satisfied with his worship. And so I'll leave you with this. That when our worship is in Christ, when our worship is in Christ, and when our worship is in spirit, and when it's in truth, then that is a sweet aroma to God. In other words, that means that he is satisfied with our worship. So if you're not in Christ, I encourage you tonight to repent and put your trust in him for salvation. The rest of us, Let's worship. And so I'm going to let um, the worship team close us out in prayer because we're going to spend a little time and worship. So if you're able to stand, please do. When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's a word That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to
a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. So help us to make our lives all about you. Just bless everybody as they go. We love you, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.